The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Been on Twitter. No Bradley South today. He's out on assignment, but in his place is Nick Suss of the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Also coming up on the Modern Women phone line, former director of Ole Miss football recruiting, Tyler Siski, because he was the one, along with everybody else with Ole Miss football back in those days, that landed Elijah Moore, who, guess what, is going to get drafted finally at the end of this week. We have finally entered NFL Draft Week. It seems like it's taken forever, Nick. It's taken so long, and... I'm a draft nerd, and I think you have that tendency to yourself as well. It is uh, way too fun of a week for something that really boils down to watching a bunch of people that you barely know who they are uh, go on teams that they probably will play for for four years maximum. It was a busy weekend at Ole Miss football and Ole Miss baseball. Ole Miss baseball salvaged one game in the LSU series. That's still four straight SEC losses for Ole Miss baseball. That's a first since 2002, the second season of Mike Bianco. But Kemp Alderman saved the day. So did T.J. McCants hitting the Grand Slam. I would say the T.J. McCants Grand Slam, more consequential, but that's neither here nor there. And then the Grove Bowl. What was your takeaway from the weekend? General Nick Suss takeaway from the weekend. I hate to put it this plainly, but I think after Saturday, I know the same stuff about Ole Miss baseball and football that I did before Saturday. It's, it's pretty clear that Matt Corral is still good at football. It's pretty clear that the baseball team is still a B plus to a minus of a team that has one or two glaring weaknesses that might end up holding it back, but also has one or two absolute strong suits that could carry it deep into the postseason. Uh, the defense is still getting deeper with football, but still not elite yet. It, it, it wasn't the most revelatory of weekends, but it was a fun one nonetheless. And I think that if that's what you're trying to take away from sports, man, just have the fun. It was fun. Fun was had. I don't know if I have much to add for football. The party in the sip stuff was really to make the Grove Bowl a recruiting event for kids to come in and see all the coaches having fun, make it a fun environment, make it a recruiting event, because then it at least gives you something as a program rather than just going through the motions for fans to be in the stands. As far as baseball is concerned, they're still in a good position to host. That's what I want to focus on right now. 
because there's only two more series before the NCAA announces the predetermined host sites, the week of May 10th, to be exact. And Ole Miss is number 15 in the RPI, 10-8 and eight record against the top 50, 9-6 and six against the top 25. And there's very clearly some teams that are in the pecking order ahead of Ole Miss right now, but there are about six spots left after those teams, including South Carolina and Ole Miss, to where Ole Miss probably right now is at worst the 13th seed. Now, you got to beat yeah, South Carolina on the weekend, but right now, even with everything else, they're okay. If you want to put it in the simplest terms possible, you go 6-6 six and six in your last four series, and you have the same SEC record you did two years ago when you hosted. Uh, it, teams go in slumps, and it's really unfortunate when you lose four in a row. And honestly, this team probably shouldn't have lost four in a row if it was the team we thought it was at the beginning of the year. But fact remains, whether you lose eight out of 12 in SEC play in a row, or if you end up losing eight out of 12 spread out over six weeks, or that would be eight out of, you know what I mean? If you lose the eight, you lose the eight. You just got to win four to make it up. You got to win six to make it up. And if they can win two out of three, or if they can sweep Carolina, they're right back in position where they're a fringe bottom half host team that will have to travel somewhere for a super. And that's a fine place to be. It's where almost almost always should be uh, based on program pedigree and history. So yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned. I'm not hitting the panic button. Even if they'd been swept, I don't know if it would have been time to hit the panic button, but this team is what it is. The bullpen is shaky at best and imploding at worst. The lineup still needs to find a true power hitter in the middle because you missed Tim Elko for three weeks and he still leads the team in home runs and runs batted in. That's not the best feeling. And you still need to make a decision. Is it Diamond or McDaniel on Sunday? And that's that's a B plus A minus team right there. You can't be one of those people. Because I do understand the panic had Ole Miss been swept. I would have totally understood it, got it, because this just hasn't happened in 20 years under Mike Bianco. It just hasn't happened. 2002 was the last time to lose four SEC series in a row. Now, it is the toughest part of the schedule. That doesn't excuse it. If you're one of the best teams in college baseball, you at least win your fair share. Having said that, you can't be one of those people that right now say, oh, Ole Miss just isn't a very good baseball team. Those early wins, starting 6-0 and in the league, those wins aren't the same compared to what the losses are now. It's just not how it works. Baseball is a body of work sport, and Ole Miss's body of work, with where they are right now, they're in an okay spot. As much as it sucks the last four weeks for an Ole Miss fan, they still are where they need to be as far as hosting is concerned, and that's the biggest takeaway. Now, had they gotten swept again, I would have gotten it, but still, it doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters do you get there. Yeah, and I do think it's important to make the distinction here that, A, I believe Ole Miss is in a good position right now, but B, I also believe Ole Miss isn't as good of a team as I thought it would be. Yeah. And I think those two things can work together. I thought the bullpen would be better than it would be. I thought Derek Diamond would be better than he's been. I thought that Tim Elko would be the number three or four hitter in the lineup the whole year. You lose those facts. The team isn't the top five contender that you and I were guilty of hyping them up to be after that Texas series, but they're still a darn good baseball team. The bullpen is probably, in my opinion, the biggest disappointment because it was touted as inarguably one of the deepest that Mike Bianco has had. They have 22 pitchers on the roster, and yet only Taylor Broadway is the one they can trust. 
He's the lone arm in the bullpen that you look at and say, okay, I can count on him to give me innings. And Ole Miss fans can get bent out of shape because he gets tagged for three runs. But my God, his arm's probably going to fall off at this point. He's being thrown as much as humanly possible because there's no one else. And they've tried other guys. They tried Derek Diamond. Unfortunately, Mike tried for Josh Mallets. On and on. They've tried guys and just haven't had that production. Now, Wes Burton, I think, showed just something over the weekend. Point being, somebody else other than Taylor Broadway has to be a viable option in high-leverage situations. And right now, there is no obvious guy. Some guys are showing some signs, but there's no obvious guy. Yeah, my question with the whole bullpen is, gosh, what is Mike seeing in practice from Braden Forsythe that's making him unusable in games. Mm, yeah. Cause obviously we can't, we can't say, we can't speak on why he's not being used, but I think he's only thrown an inning in two thirds in sec play so far. He gave up one run. Maybe I can't remember, but he walked a couple of guys. He didn't look too, too sharp, but he's the guy that was supposed to be the middle innings leverage guy. If Broadway was the closer, they were supposed to have their cake and eat it too, with have a ninth inning closer and a middle innings closer. Now Broadway's doing both, and that's not a logistical way to, to get deep into the postseason. Well, in the fall, Braden's velocity was down. He was walking too many guys, and when he would actually find the strike zone, he was getting hit hard, and it didn't stop in the yeah. preseason. So I understand, but when he's gotten out there, he hasn't been that bad. Actually, hasn't been bad at all. He hasn't been any worse than all the other options you've tried. So I think I would yeah. try to maybe figure it out only because he's got a little bit of a track record. Last year, he exactly. was the one closing games for you. So at this point, what do you got to lose? Why not? Totally agree. Now, offensively, they're fine. They're hitting into too many double plays, but I think that's more about lineup construction than anything else. That's a topic for another day. If you take anything away from this, what Nick and I are saying, they're where they're supposed to be mathematically. Are they perfect? No. But mathematically, they're still where they need to be for hosting. But almost baseball salvaging one win against LSU in a three-game series is not the number one story in this edition of Talk of Champions. No, the most interesting story today is the potential expansion of the college football playoff. And it takes us to the lead. What, what, what am I hearing? The lead. We're going gorilla. We're taking it to the streets while keeping an eye on the street. The lead brought to you by Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman. Are you looking for a new job? Maybe you're a college student ready to get started with your career. Maybe you're just tired of working nine to five for 40 hours a week just to make money for someone else. Well, if so, make sure to contact Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman. He's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who's highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas through Facebook or his number at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Okay, I don't know if you saw this, Nick, but recently Paul Feinbaum voted that the college football playoff could be expanded before its contract expires in 2025. He says that, quote, you're definitely going to see an expansion. That was clearly the subliminal message from the release on Friday. Now, in that release, effectively, the college football playoff committee or whatever, the NCAA, floated an expansion to 6, 8, 12, 16 teams. And you don't put that 16 number in there and put it in the consciousness of college football fans if that's not something that could ultimately be a realistic possibility. And I think college football looks around 
And not only Major League Baseball and the massive contracts that it's generating despite blackout restrictions, but the NFL, even in a pandemic, with its monster numbers, just the television deals and the amount of money that networks are willing to pay to get broadcasting rights for sports and limit yourself. And once it starts to come down to making more money off of amateurism, well, now you got the NCAA's attention, and I think now that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, and I mean, I have very, very detailed and controversial and intricate thoughts about playoff expansion. Good. I want every really only... single one of them. <laughs> the, the, the unfortunate truth is there's a big difference between what the best entertainment product is and what the best thing for college football is. Because the best thing for college football would be if the committee didn't have to pick a specific number of teams every year and could just pick all the teams that theoretically belong. Like take last year, for example, we had this long, long, long debate about who the fourth team should be. And if they're deserved to be a fourth team and just put three in them, why, why do you need four? And two years ago, three years ago, there was a big debate of whether who should be the fourth, who should be the fifth. There's two people here, put five in, find a way to make it work. That's the best way to do it. But that's a, horrible financial model and it's completely unsustainable so then the only way to actually to provide a good playoff is for there to be tangible ways into the playoff like every professional league can do because of how small the sport leagues are and how few teams there are college football would need to condense itself and if you want to get way too into the nitty-gritty i have built a 64 team formula of how to do this but obviously that would involve completely screwing up conference alignments and changing the way that finances are spread throughout college football and get rid of the bowl structure entirely. And it would be such an overhaul to college football that obviously would take way more than five minutes to outline. Every contract would need to be ripped up and started over and every conference would need to figure out how to sustain itself without football. So basically but, that's never going to happen. Of course it won't happen. So there will never be a good playoff model in college football. And I hate to be that like, direct about it but if there is not either a a way to say we only put in the teams that deserve and don't care about the number or b here are the actual requirements to get in and you will get in if you fulfill these requirements there's never going to be a satisfactory playoff because if you go from four to eight you're just going to have the debate about eight versus nine if you go from 16 to 17 you're gonna or 8 to 16 you're gonna have a 16 17 debate we watch college basketball every year the bubble is still the only thing people talk about people don't care about if you're a five seed people want to know who's on the bubble you're always going to have debates about who belongs in all you're doing is watering down the product by adding more teams i'm okay with 16 teams i've never understood why there's been such a protection and it's not just from the ncaa You've seen it in national media, the conversation itself, such a protection of the bowl model, as if it's some sacred thing that has been around since the foundation of college football. Bowls are ridiculous. They're exhibition games that mean nothing. You get a trophy that means nothing. Tell me, Nick, who won the 2014 Citrus Bowl? Uh, Notre Dame? I don't know. Maybe. No, I'm Googling it now. What do we see? 2014 Capital One Citrus Bowl. Yeah, 2014 Citrus Bowl was South Carolina 34, Wisconsin 24. Okay, you just made my point. No one knows. No one cares. They mean nothing. And as much as Ole Miss fans had fun with the Outback Bowl, and you should have, it was a great accomplishment. 
it wasn't the accomplishment. You weren't playing for the ultimate goal. So I've never understood why there's been such a sacred protection of the bowls outside of, oh, it's just for money. Even if you're a national media person and you're sponsored by, I don't know, direct TV or something, well, you have a vested interest in it as well. There is a conflict of interest when you try to talk about the bowls and getting rid of them. But 16 teams in a 16-team playoff can more than suffice and I think satisfy the thirst, the hunger of Ole Miss fans and college football fans in general that want to see it expanded. Now, of course, you're still going to have the debate, the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th team, but really, 16 teams seems about right. Give me 16 teams, and I think you'll be fine. What I'm protective of has nothing to do with bowl structure, because I agree with you, bowls are completely random, and most years I can't remember who sponsors yeah, what bowl. Yeah. What, what I'm protective of is the actual you know, history of the sport. And most people, to get back to your point of what do people remember, if I ask you who was the best, <clears throat> excuse me, if I ask you who was the best college football team in 1997, You'll just think of, oh, well, who was probably the national champion that year? Was it Nebraska? Was it Florida State? It's one of those teams. You'll just throw out whoever was claimed or crowned national champion. You can go through the entire BCS era. You can go through the entire playoff era. Whoever won the championship is the best team in history's eyes. But that's not how it works. We're smart enough to know that the best team doesn't always win the championship. True. And smaller postseasons you know, maximize the possibility that a team that wins the championship actually deserves it. And, and nothing irks me more than when you look at the MLB postseason and think that like 40 years from now, people are going to think that the San Francisco Giants were a dynasty <laughs> of the early 2010s, yeah. when in fact they were a wild card three times in five years and just happened to get their way to the World Series every time. That's not how it happened. It just worked. And, and the more you expand it, football is such a volatile sport where you're not playing it in series and you're not playing it in home home or whatever you end up being. You're playing one game and one thing can happen in one game. And it's plausible to see a team get upset. And I, I don't want to be the gatekeeper who's saying history is all that matters. We have to protect history. But the more you create opportunities for teams that don't deserve to win championships to win championships, the more you water down what it means to win a championship. The question, two questions actually, will the college football playoff expand before the contract expires in 2025? And if it does, how many teams? Yes, and eight. I just don't see the value of putting in 16. Think, like, Let's just pull up this year's rankings. Who was the 16th best team in college football this year? Well, Indiana was 11th. Indiana would have been fun to play Ohio State, Notre Dame. You don't think Indiana would have given Notre Dame a game? I, I don't care. Neither of them should have been the champion. <laughs> like, that's kind of my point well, here. Well, I mean, is, Alabama should have been the champion. Of course, Alabama's the best team. But give me more opportunities for Alabama to lose. Like, you're, you're getting to a point where if you're putting 16 teams in, I think Texas might have been in the top 16 and fired its coach. Like, you're, you're talking about some teams that really probably didn't belong Okay, anywhere okay, okay. Near, near the playoff. If Ole Miss, and I think you would agree this is a possibility, if Ole Miss were to be a top 16 team next year, not saying they're going to be, but there's a chance. They've got enough coming back. They've got enough excitement around them. They've got the offense to potentially be top 16. You wouldn't think an Ole Miss 16, number 16 team, couldn't take on the number one seed Alabama and on any given day beat that team? I mean, think how fun that game was last year. 
Yeah, but the difference is whether or not you can take it on. It's more about should. Because at a certain point, what's what's the point of playing a playoff if it's, oh, a team that shouldn't be here is here? Like, Wait, that goes so back if to my UCLA point again. had upset Gonzaga and gone on and upset Baylor, they wouldn't have deserved to be the national champion? No, because having 68 teams play in a basketball tournament is a terrible way to determine who the best team in basketball is. Playing a 36-game regular season is a really good way. I mean, at the end of the day, the NCAA tournament is a terrible way to determine it. It's just really, really fun. So what's the right way to determine it? You play a lot of games. I, I don't want to be the soccer snob guy, but the EPL's pretty on track of just like, whoever played the best regular season was clearly the best team. Why make them play a one-game playoff championship if you have the track record? Like you were talking about with baseball earlier, it's not about how good you are at the end. It's about the body of work. That should be all sports. It's a body of work award. Okay. You convinced me. The real takeaway here, if you're an old Miss fan listening to this and listening to Nick, for the first time, I've never heard you like this. Get this worked up. You do believe by 2025 they will have expanded the playoff and you think they're going to eight teams. That's the takeaway here. Probably. Okay. Uh, that, that would be my guess. You would think talking all about a college football expansion potentially before 2025 would quench your football thirst, but that's not today's football fix. Brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Finally. At long last, Oxford is getting back to normal. The sun is shining. Those dreary winter months, they're behind us. Better yet, you actually get to experience Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What a world. What better way to get there than in a new car, truck, or Jeep? The only place to go for your next vehicle is Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. They'll take care of you. And I know, because I've bought a car there myself. And the experience was too easy. Seamless, even. Their only goal is to get you in the vehicle you've always wanted at a good price. So reach out today. Don't wait. Give them a call. 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's 2201 East University Avenue. Just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Sheep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. It's time now for Football Fix. What's known in football terms as a slam dunk. The NFL draft's coming up. Tyler Siski, former Ole Miss director of football recruiting. He's coming up on the Modern Women phone line. Also, if you haven't already, subscribed, rate, review, talk of champions and iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. This podcast is available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Omen Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate 247 Sports. He's Nick Suss. He writes for the Clarion Ledger. You can find him on Twitter at Nick Suss. He doesn't follow me. doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't care. But anyway, a football fix. The NFL draft is coming up. And I had something that popped in my brain. Okay, if Matt Corral, there was a decision he made in the fall. If Matt Corral had entered the NFL draft, knowing that this NFL draft has been all about and will be all about the quarterbacks, where would he fall? I'm going to give you the top 10, okay? Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Matt Jones, Davis Mills, Kyle Trask, Jamie Newman, Kellen Mond, Felipe Franks. Between Mills and Trask. And that's just because I've heard so much late momentum for Davis Mills and his processing ability and how much people love the 
uh, intelligence factor with him coming from Stanford. I think right now, just retrospect being what it is and us having the ability to look at the seasons that just happened, as great as Kyle Trask was, I still think what Corral did might end up being slightly more impressive, if that makes any sense. Trask was clearly better. I voted for him second place in the Heisman Trophy ballot this year. But I think as an NFL prospect, Corral might be a step ahead of Trask right now, or at least even with him, where teams would say, oh, we prefer that he's a little bit more mobile. We prefer that he has this deep throw accuracy, that he can do these things. I think that seventh is probably the place you look at him. And then you head into next year's draft. And I might also say seventh because there's so many unknowns in next year's draft. But I think Jamie Newman's a big unknown. Trask is Trask. He was better than Mond and Franks, though. And those are SEC guys you can easily compare him against. Do you think he has the potential to move up to a one, two, three? So let's let's just think about the guys that are going to be up next year. It seems like Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis are the one and two or one a one B however you look at it. And then there's the group of Brock Purdy from Iowa state, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, Jaden Daniels from Arizona state. Um, JT Daniels from Georgia, who we we will get to see more of this year. Uh, It's a, it's a big list of people that it doesn't seem like anyone has a consensus opinion on yet. And I think corral fits in that group pretty well of he seems like a one-year wonder at this point he had one really good season and a lot of nfl teams don't love to draft guys off of one good season apparently unless their name is mac jones so i don't know um i i really think that push comes to shove corral is corral he is probably going to be about as good this year as he was last year and that'll win you a lot of football games Um, if he doesn't improve his decision-making and his uh, gunslinger mentality of sometimes turning the ball over a bunch in quick succession, teams are going to shy away from him. But if he comes out and has the type of season where that interception number goes from 14 to about six, yeah, I can think he can sneak into the back end of the first round. Oh, okay. I didn't know where you were going. I I was thinking, okay, he's... uh... Nick about to say fourth round or something? Because I, I think he's a little better than that. I don't, I don't know. If Drew Locke can go in the second, Matt Corral's is about Drew Locke. Yeah, it, it's all about sneaking into the – It's find, obviously, it's all about finding a team that, that falls in love with you. But, I mean, yeah, if he limits his turnovers and shows that the running ability wasn't a fluke and shows that he can develop somebody like Braylon Sanders or Jonathan Mingo into a top target, I can see him work his way – into the third or fourth guy in this class. I think that Sam Howell and uh, Keaton Slovis are probably going to be one and two in whatever order they end up being uh, in the same way that I thought there would be no question that Lawrence and Fields would be one and two this year. So take everything with NFL draft evaluation with a grain of salt. But yeah, I mean, if he has a good year, there's, there's a way he can work into the first round. Does a quarterback go first overall next year? Oh, I love Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. So he's got a real shot as an edge rusher to go number one. Uh, It it really depends on who is bad enough to need a quarterback next year. Because, gosh, if you think of the teams that we expect to have top three picks next year, 
they're all teams that have picked quarterbacks pretty recently. So it's either is a team willing to do what the Jets are doing now and give up on a young quarterback or is a team going to regress so quickly like a Pittsburgh or a Chicago of having a quarterback that they're unsure of that they need to go and get one at one, one. I don't know, but right now I would bet that a quarterback doesn't go one, one in 2022. The dolphins could pick a quarterback next year. You don't want to get a fight with me with Tua if you don't want to hear me get passionate about again. (laughs) Well, you said that Matt Corral in this class, had he come out, would have fallen between Davis Mills and Kyle Trask. That's six and seven. Mills is the number 62 overall prospect. Trask is number 82. So you're saying he would have been a top 100 prospect? Probably uh, because of the value of quarterbacks. Maybe not because of the value of him potentially, but just because quarterbacks are always going to be artificially boosted up. Uh, I think he probably could have been a a top 100 prospect this year. And maybe I'm completely overstating it. Maybe I'm too close to the situation like you are. And we see Corral closer in the same way that the other day, somebody asked me, should Elijah Moore go ahead of Terrace Marshall? And without thinking, I was like, why would anyone pick Terrace Marshall over Elijah Moore? Clearly Elijah Moore is better And I remember. No, I've just spent the last three years doing nothing but watching Elijah Moore for work. And maybe there are other people in other parts of the country who are also good at football. Elijah Moore's better than Terrence Marshall. Probably. He's probably better than Rashad Bateman, but I, I, I don't know. I don't get to watch Rashad <laughs> Bateman as much. I don't get to watch Rondale Moore The as deal much. with I Elijah Moore is that his skill set in particular plays well for what the modern NFL is and what they do now, what offenses do. I mean, Elijah, he's not going to be an outside guy, but there's never been a greater emphasis on slot receivers in the NFL like there is now. So Elijah couldn't be coming out at a better time for him and his skill set. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And your podcast listeners know where my NFL allegiances lie. And I wouldn't hate it if Elijah ended up wearing two-tone blue. AJ and Elijah on the same team. That means you and I could get credentialed to go watch the Titans. I will anytime. Somebody I'm saying offers. we've got hey, a legitimate, go we have a legitimate, a legitimate claim to a credential. Those are stories. Two Ole Miss guys, they two are. Ole Miss wide receivers in the same offense. Let's go. And uh, I saw a mock draft earlier today that had the Titans in the fourth round picking Kylan Hill. So let's just go as Mississippi representatives. Jeff Simmons, Kylan Hill, Elijah Moore, A.J. Brown, the, the Mississippi Titans. Hey, I covered Jeffrey Simmons in high school. So sure, why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? I will tell you this, though. When I'm looking at these quarterbacks, I take Kellen Mond over Jamie Newman, Kyle Trask, Davis Mills. He seems like there's more upside with him. See, I've always thought of Kellen Mond as what's what's the middle between upside and downside? Just side. <laughs> <laughs> Kellen Mond is side. I think Kellen Mond is Kellen Mond, and the last four years of watching him, I've been like, yeah, yeah that's Kellen Mond. Yeah. He's Kev- he's Kellen Mond, all right. Yeah. Man, that was a Kellen Mond play that Kellen Mond made. Maybe he ends up being the dream Chase Daniel guy who can stick it out for 14 years in the NFL without ever having to be a reliable starter. I just, nothing ever excited me about him. And I'm hoping I'm wrong because I will always root for people to be great at football because I love watching football. But I never got excited about Calvin Mond. Or Josh Dodd just hanging on. Yeah. I don't get the love for Trey Lance. Everything I've watched of him, I just think he's underwhelming. He's, he's Dak. And I mean that as both a positive and a negative. He just strikes me as very Dak-like. And that's good. If that's you can be Dak, now. You, you can... That's my quarterback. I know. That's why I'm not insulting Dak. Uh-huh. I've insulted him in the past. I've come along to the idea that 
yeah, he's probably the 10th or 11th best quarterback in football. And if you're the 10th or 11th best quarterback in the world, damn, that's really, really good for you. And I think that's what I see in Trey Lance where I'm never, I'll just give you the spiel. I've given everybody on this uh, NFL quarterback class. If only one of them ends up in the hall of fame, it's Trevor Lawrence. If only one of them ends up winning an MVP, it's Justin Fields. If only one of them ends up changing the way we evaluate quarterbacks, it's Zach Wilson. And then the other guys I don't care as much about. So you're saying if the 49ers do pick Mac Jones at three, foolish? Probably. I mean, if you are, I'm taking this from a friend, so I'm sorry if a friend is listening. If you're Kyle Shanahan and you want to draft a ventriloquist dummy to just be you on the field for you, oh Mac Jones is a heck of a good at that. And that, I'm not trying to insult Mac Jones, but like Kyle Shanahan, everything he said, is like, I want my eyes on the field. I want somebody who can execute my offense. I want somebody who can do things the way I like. It just sounds like you're a bit of a narcissist here. And you think the problem is definitely not yourself. Well, all coaches are narcissists. But if you look at Justin Fields and say, oh, he can't execute my vision, get a better vision. And I think Kyle Shanahan's an amazing football coach, one of the best offensive minds of our time. But if you're that rigid that you need a puppet through whom you can operate your own offense, ah, I, I don't love that team building model. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. He's Nick Suss. Writes for the Clarion Ledger, filling in for Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. He's out on assignment today. Got to go down to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Tyler Siski all about Elijah Moore and the NFL draft. But before we do, got to say bye to Nick. See you, buddy. I am so happy to talk to you anytime I do, Ben. Thanks for having me back. What a sweetheart. What a sweetheart. Let's hear from B&A Bank and Chinese Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Oxford, Mississippi is always at its best in the spring and summer. The sun is shining, the square is popping, and you actually now get to go back to Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What could be better? But the only way to truly enjoy everything that Oxford and Ole Miss has to offer is to make sure you're still taking care of yourself, keeping yourself safe, and that you have a pharmacy you know you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the Rebels themselves. Chinese Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Chinese also accepts all third-party insurance. Chinese Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down, it's not close. So give Chinese a call, 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. 
where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. It's finally NFL Draft Week, and that means in just a couple of days' time, we'll know when and where Elijah Moore, Royce Newman, Kenny Yaboa all end up at the next level. Elijah's, of course, the headliner, a potential first-round selection, and few know him better than today's guest on Talk of Champions, former Ole Miss Director of Recruiting, Tyler Siski, now the CEO of Quick Recruiting. Hey, buddy, what's up? What's up, brother? How we doing? Good, man. How are you? Man, doing great. Doing great. Just sitting over here grinding, man. What do you got going right now? We are completing our um, university product. We're calling it Quick U. I partner with a company called Quick Cut that is doing hosting all of our uh, film and what we're doing all of our cut upside of and uh, working on our recruiting software that will hopefully be done by the end of the week. That's kind of the plan. The podcast, I got to say, I'm a fan of it. I told you this before we sat down to record. I listened to the one recently with Rich Rodriguez. Y'all talked about UFOs. It's great stuff. Good for you, man. You're a natural <laughs> at this stuff already. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> oh, man, we just have a good time, man. We It's just like, uh, so it's home visit with Tyler Siskin and Associates. And it's just like coaches sitting around drinking a couple of cold beers at the convention, talking stories and uh, things that uh, I guess the public doesn't get to hear all, a lot of. You know what you are now, right? What's that? A media member. Welcome nope, nope, to the fraternity of media. No, nope. nope. not until I have to get a credential for something. So, yeah, I'm, I'm denying that until the day I die. Well, credentials aren't all that hard to get your hands on these days. So you don't necessarily have to be a media person to be credentialed. Anyway, <laughs> getting off track here, Elijah Moore is going to be drafted later this week. A lot to cover here because you were part of the former staff that obviously signed him, evaluated him out of high school, Going back, let's start there. Going back to his high school days. I'm a recruiting novice. I don't pretend to be some expert. But I was under the assumption he was already an elite level route runner. Is that fair? Yes. He 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 had, you know, and that was in the transition of me leaving South and coming to South Alabama and coming to Ole Miss and having to deal with the good old fashioned IAWP rule, which, you know, they actually threw out. So it took about five years, but they actually got rid of it. But yeah, knew about him, um, studied him the whole deal. Very good uh, one-step change in direction, which for me is one of the big factors and when evaluating a receiver. Um, very quick, you know, and really not as fast as you would probably think. I think that's one thing that he's really improved on a ton. You know, last three years was just his, his speed because you would watch his film and think he was probably quicker than he was fast. But he has really improved that, and I'm just – Happy for him and, and can't wait to see what happens Thursday. Well, if memory serves, Georgia, the team he was committed to for the longest, wanted to play him at defensive back, which opened the door further for Ole Miss. Why did y'all see him as wide receiver and others maybe evaluate him at defensive back? Was it just the size thing? Well, I think the size thing would, you know, made him more of a receiver than it would be a DB. Um, I don't know really. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it was they got full or what the deal was. I know, uh, you know, Jacob Peeler and uh, Matt Luke obviously recruited him um, from day one, and that was in Matt's <clears throat> interim year, you know, where he got the job in July. And um, he was a guy that, you know, was definitely really a break from the pattern of receivers that had, you know, signed at Ole Miss in the past with, you know, going with bigger guys that, you know, you look at somebody like A.J. Brown, which is a, 
you know, six foot and a half inch, six foot one guy that weighed 200 and something pounds and, and playing the slot and things like that. But definitely a, a guy that was kind of a break and going, you know, small and twitchy guy, which you know, just, there, there's a ton of those guys out there, but very few of them are special. What about Elijah made you think that not only could he make an impact, but potentially get to this place? If you ever thought that, did you think that he could potentially get to the place where now he's in the first round discussion, if not locked in, in the back end of the first round? Well, it's definitely, he definitely had the ability. The ability is always there. The, the thing with smaller wide receivers is they're just, you know, they're not, um, you know, in the, in the past, in the NFL, have not been as valued. And I think people like Tyreek Hill, those kind of guys – have really opened up the door for that in the NFL to be a little bit more accepting of those kind of guys. And I think there's been some more guys in the last few years that have had success in the National Football League. And um, Elijah, for me, is just a guy that, you know, is the epitome of hard work and dedication, and, and it's paid off. What about his game do you think translates well or best to the NFL? He's, he's always open. You know, he's uh, – I don't know if I've seen a guy, and I was trying to think back, you know, before we did the interview, I was trying to think back of somebody that I had seen that um, got open as good as he did, and I, I can't remember. You know, if I could compare him to anybody in my past, uh, he's probably similar to Calvin Ridley, um, the way he runs routes, but he is a little bit faster, and that's <laughs> saying a lot, and has a little bit better of one-step change direction which says a lot because Calvin is definitely one of the most elite guys doing that. Does he fit in any offense in the NFL or is there a specific style or team that would work best for what he does? No, I think he, I think he, he can fit anywhere. I think he'll, he'll play the slot. You know, he's definitely not going to be an outside receiver in the NFL and you want to get him in those matchups. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to have a great career. I look forward to seeing what happens, you know, and I think it's, you know, the, the good, the, the exciting thing about his, where he's at in his stock is, you know, I've gotten a bunch of calls lately and I'll talk about that in a second, but everybody from who's at the back end of the first round, that's also going to be in the front end of the second round. So he's get, there's, there's no telling, you know, he could get, you know, people can trade up late in the first round uh, to get him. I think that's a, there's a lot of teams that have interest in that and uh, they're kind of excited to see what happens. Is it fair to say that he couldn't be entering the NFL draft at a better time for his skill set because slot receivers have never been more valued than they are now. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's, that's hard to say they are valued for sure, but you know, there's nothing else for him to prove. You know, that's the thing always, it was kind of like when AJ decided to come out, you know, what was he going to do? Come back and catch, you know, more (laughs) passes or more yards at Ole Miss. There really wasn't a whole lot up for him to gain by coming back for another year. So I think that's more the time to go than it is, you know, does he have to, you know, if you have to work on something, but when somebody like Elijah, I mean, he's reached the pinnacle, there's nothing else for him to prove. And, uh, and I think it's a, it was a good decision to come out. I was surprised that he actually went through with Ole Miss Pro Day. Did it surprise you? Do you think it helped him? Do you think it always helps players to maybe go out there and just do it again in a pro day? Uh, yes and no. It probably depends on, depends on the situation. Um, in his case, the thing that I liked about it is, you know, you see that, you know, he's not afraid to compete. You know, he had a lot to lose and not a lot to gain, and he went out and surpassed everybody. So that that's really somebody that bets on themselves as the ultimate competitor, and, you know, that's something that, that that's who he is. When he got on campus, what did y'all know you had, and then what did you work on? You know, the thing about it, you know, when he, when he arrived on campus, he's behind AJ. 
And, and, you know, it's hard at first when, you know, you know, AJ Brown's good and you know how good he's going to be. And, and then you got a guy that's behind him on a game uh, was the one that stuck out to me that, that, that I remember him just kind of coming into his own. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you saw flashes at practice, but, you know, what he did in that game, you were, you realized that this guy could be a guy that could take over a game by himself. And we had some guys that were down that game. I think, you know, DK was out at that time and then AJ was going through some thumb, you know, things with his hands and uh, with his thumb and we trying to move him outside to kind of relieve some pressure um, from when, you know, DK being out and, you know, he just stepped up in the role and, and filled it out. Yeah, he's legit. And he's probably going in the first round this weekend, but you talk, to a number of NFL scouts and evaluators. They're calling you this week, and you're a part of the former staff, and obviously they're thinking you're going to say some bad things. So for you, when you get those calls, what are the questions you're getting, and what are the answers you're giving? Yeah, you know, that, that's, that was, uh, you know, not surprising. Um, I think they, you know, the, the thing that kills me about the draft, it always has, is, you know, at the last week, and the same thing happened with Laramie on draft night. You know, the, at the end of this draft process, these teams get really start second guessing and start looking for reasons why not to draft kids instead of reasons why to draft them. And, you know, it goes back and it's, you know, it's basically when the whole thing was, I remember uh, Laramie Tunsil's draft night. I'm two schools removed from Ole Miss. And I was getting calls and they were like, well, what's going on? Why, why, why is he dropping? Da, 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 and asking all these questions. And at the end of the day, it's like, do you want a Pro Bowl left tackle or not? I mean, that's what you're getting. And you think about all the teams that passed on him early in the draft. And all the way back, the same thing happened with uh, C.J. Mosley when I was at Alabama. Do you want a Pro Bowl linebacker or not? I mean, those are the questions. And I think Elijah's going to be a premier receiver in the National Football League. If you need one, take him. <laughs> you know, that's, it's pretty it's – not, it's not hard. But, yeah, I've, I've been – I think a lot of teams have called uh, thinking that I was going to – you know, since we were on the staff, and obviously everybody remembers the Egg Bowl incident and all that stuff, thinking that we were going to have be bitter about it and those kind of things. And, you know, I hate it happen for the kid because that's not who he is. Um, he is the ultimate competitor. I actually sent him a text message right after that happened and um, just love and respect him for everything he does. Um, I think he's going to be a great pro. And just like I told everybody, I said, you know, if you don't draft him, you're going to wish you did. You know, and I think uh, I would be surprised if he, if he doesn't go um, in the first round, whether it be to a team that's there or somebody that trades up for him. Here's the deal about that whole picking up his leg in the egg bowl kind of deal. Nobody took that harder than Elijah Moore. He was borderline despondent for weeks after that. Thing is, we all talk about that. Luke Logan missed the extra point. I'm not trying to trash some other kid. I'm just saying it's like, why does Elijah Moore get all of it, you know? Yeah, I, I, I sent Luke a text as well. You know, I just think that it's a it's a tough situation. That's not, uh, you know, it's part of the game. We know the business when we sign up to coach and and those things. And um, you know, it's not like they went out there and tried to do. You know, there was nothing malice about it. There was nothing, whether it be the penalty or whether it be the you know kick off the upright. You know, it's not like they went out there and decided that's what they were going to do and it's malice and out of bad intent. It's just uh, something that happened and didn't go the right way and uh, you know if we had to go back in time I'm sure they wouldn't do it again so um but you know we learned from it and that's the thing is that, you know how he you know he moved on from it that says a lot about his character because I think that's something in in a young man's career that's very difficult for some people to move on from things like that and just the way he moved on the way he competed and the way he responded I was 
uh, very proud of him and can't wait to see what happens Thursday night. Also, it's Mississippi State. So, guys, what'd you expect? Yeah, they're out there. And that's the thing, you know, went through it. You know, it's, it's again, you know, I've been part of the Auburn-Alabama rivalry and all that stuff and, you know, been part of different rivalries across the, the southeast. And, you know, those definitely, I will say this, and I can I can say this uh, now that I'm not attached to you, right? It, it's definitely the – it's definitely the one rivalry that I've been a part of that has the most hate on both sides, without question. And I grew up Auburn, Alabama, and coached in it the whole played in the whole deal. So it's definitely the one that has the most uh, distaste fan bases, I guess you can say. Oh, yeah, because there's one side that would be quite comfortable with a murder-suicide. If they go down, so be it, as long as the other one goes down with them. Don't want to go down this road too far, so I want to ask you one other thing, because you brought it up here. Laramie Tunsil's draft night, my God, man, you bring that up. And I swear to God, a chill went down my spine. I was in Chicago for that draft because it was supposed to be an historic night for Ole Miss. Laquan, Rob, Laramie, three first-rounders for Ole Miss, and it happened. But everything was overshadowed by that. Where were you when it went down, and what was your reaction when you saw it? I was in. I was out recruiting. I was actually – I'd already been out of Alabama. I was at South Alabama. Uh, I was out recruiting in Birmingham – and I remember I got done with a practice early, so I went and got Milo's hamburger, and a big had to get the uh, had to get the Mega Meal combo. Took it back oh, to the room, to. Yeah. turned on the draft, and started uh, watching the draft in my hotel room in Birmingham, Alabama. And oh. the phone started ring about pick three. <laughs> phone started ringing, and, and uh, probably had between 10 and 25 calls that night. I mean, I don't even know. They just, they I went to my, from NFL teams. Uh, and then finally, when uh, uh, the Dolphins took him and, you know, things started, uh, you know, settling down a little bit. But it was crazy. Basically, from the time that he was supposed to get picked, which was, what, two or three, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, until whenever he got picked, 15, 16, I don't even remember what it was. 13. It was my phone pretty much. 13th my phone rang nonstop from that entire time so um and i everything from gms to uh, area scouts to you know anybody that had my phone number i felt like I, I talked to every team and you know it was just at the end of the day it was just you know it's just they look at it, it's, that's the hard part about the draft is is they look for reasons not to draft people mm-hmm. instead of reasons to draft them and then the other thing that drives me nuts, and we talked about it a little bit, we're going to talk about it tomorrow on a podcast, but the thing that really drives me nuts about the whole draft process is how you, you have these pro days and you have, you know, all these things and these kids will, you know, prepare. And I'm talking about being the top physical shape of their life and come out for a pro day and think that a one hour pro day workout is going to erase the last three to four years of film. Mm-hmm. And when they could have been prepared like that the whole time, and you know, I think that the you know the whole process itself is is uh, gotten crazy. At the end of the day, scouts and evaluators they overthink this stuff. What you put on tape is more important than anything else. You got to put it on tape. Yeah, got to put it on tape and got to you know and go through it, and then you know then everybody wants to you know you know especially when it comes to quarterbacks. I mean, oh my goodness. And it's just, you know, it's, it's going to get crazier between now and Thursday, but you know, something's going to happen between now and Thursday that somebody's going to gain some spots and somebody's going to lose some spots over something that's, you know, it's just, it's, it's insane, but that's, uh, you know, that's, you get owner's opinions. And I mean, that's another thing. It's like people don't realize that sometimes you have, you know, 
inner battles in the in the front offices where you have a, a coach that wants a player, you have a GM that wants a player, and you have an owner that wants a certain different player. So you have all these inner battles, and, and uh, you know, and finally they they get put on the clock, and it's you know they've had months to prepare for this thing, and then you know they seem to wait to the last minute to try to make a decision. Now, no prospect is an absolute sure thing. Well, Laramie was, but do you feel like Elijah Moore is as close to a sure thing as there can be? Yeah, as long as he stays healthy, and that's the thing. That's the thing that you know you can't ever predict. And I think, but as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, you know, I think he's going to be a really, really, really good NFL player because you know he can, you know, he can get open. The you know the coverage rules are a little bit different in the, in the NFL than they are in, in high school I and mean, in college. And and you know, I think he's going to be. He's a great route runner. Understands spacing so well. Um, gets open and his, you know, has unbelievable ball skills. You know, that's another thing people don't realize about the guy. So, um, but he's an explosive play waiting to happen. I mean, I mean, if if anybody in America has watched Ole Miss play this last year, everybody in the country knew who was when Matt Corral dropped back to pass where he was looking first. And t- people don't understand that the the links that defenses went to try to take eight out of the game. You know, and you know, they just it didn't matter. You couldn't you couldn't do it. And I think that's a credit to, you know, the offensive staff will come up with a plan to get him get him involved in the game too. I think they had to be creative and um very um impressed with that. But they uh let me tell you what, he did a uh he's a he's a great player. What no led y'all to take him over Rondell Moore? Uh that'd probably be one for Peeler. A better question for Peeler. Um you know, I thought they were both good. Uh and then you know, you could argue early. You know, I think Rondell came out and had a better career early, um, and he went three years. I think he actually opted out a little bit this year. I think and you have to look at that. But you know, they're both really good players, both very similar players. Um, I think uh, Elijah has a better change of direction, better ball skills, and I think Rondell's probably a little bit. I mean, I don't know what he ran, but on the hoof, if you watch the tape, you would think Rondell's probably faster. Um, but I think Elijah has better change of direction, better ball skills, and uh, probably an overall better route runner. So when will quick recruiting be up and running for good? Yeah, hopefully the end of the week. That's that's kind of the plan. We're actually we're finished with everything. We're just doing formatting and the people that know coding and things like that that I don't know. That's what they're working on, and uh, we'll be we're rocking and rolling, man. So I know got you got everything. got schools Go calling and all that kind of stuff. So, are you considering yep. yourself out of the game now? I mean, is this it for you? I mean, is quick recruiting that's your deal, or if the right school? I'm, I'm done, man. Okay. Right. No, I'm 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 done, man. I'm done. It's uh, it's been a good ride, and I'm able. You know, the thing about this is, you know, I'm able to able to be a dad. There you um, go. Enjoy it. Um, love. You know, we're staying here in Oxford. Company is staying here in Oxford. We got an office building the whole deal, and. and Love the community. I uh, love being a part of it. My wife loves it here. My kids love it here. So, you know, it's been, you know, you're, you're kind of a hired mercenary um, in recruiting. And, and it's a, you know, you don't have time anymore to build things because people want results two seconds after they hire you. They don't want to build anymore. So, you know, it's either that or I could travel around the country every one to two years and, and, and swap jobs. And it's just, it's time, man. And, and uh you know, I don't have – I really did not miss it as much as I thought I would, which surprised me. Um, this past year uh, gave me a chance to, to get this thing started and, uh, and join it. And like I said, you know, don't, <laughs> I don't have to uh, – I don't have to stay up at night uh, worried about where some 18-year-old kid is <laughs> deciding to go on a visit this weekend. So it's really – it's been a refreshing 
uh, refreshing change, but you know, I'm still involved and still able to help kids and, and all those things. It's just, I don't really don't care where they go. You know, I just, you know, wherever they go, great for them, good for you, you know, but you know, the thing that what we're doing is, is completely free of the kids. It's completely free of the high schools and, you know, recruiting businesses have got a bad rap because they're out there charging these. I mean, there's so many organizations out there that are actually charging kids, promising them scholarships. And that's not what we're doing. The only thing that I can promise them is that we're going to get more eyes on them and are right now. So, um, but we are, uh, and then any, you know, giving them advice and, you know, that's the other thing is with education and recruiting is because, you know, the tricky part is, is there's no one with any credibility out there that can educate the parents and the kids actually know, knows what's going on, you know, and, you know, if you had a question about recruiting as a parent, who would you call? Well, you would probably call the guy that's recruiting you. Well, they're going to tell you what you want to hear, not the truth. And so, you know, that's a big thing with me is we're just being honest with people, um, telling them the truth and, you know, getting them advised in the correct way. It's like you realized once you got out, oh, wait, normal people don't get to work at five in the morning and leave at nine o'clock at night. Crazy. Yeah. My, now my, my wife's still having a tough time with that because I'm still grinding a little bit. So I, that's, that's, you know, it's, 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 uh, that part has changed a little bit. You know, I do, I've, I've actually seen what it's like on sat on a normal weekend for a normal human being. I, I think that's kind of neat. Uh, enjoy the weekends, enjoy having family dinners. Um, sometimes I'm a little late for them, but, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to see how the other side has lived for the last 25 years. Living in Oxford though, and with Ole Miss being down the road, what's that like? Do you even pay attention to what's happening at Ole Miss? Football, baseball, basketball, does it matter? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a big baseball guy. Love you. You know that. We, you know, I've talked. We, oh, uh, God. We don't need to no, talk I, about I the Braves. Follow, yeah, we, can, we won't talk about the Braves. We're both in, in the dark. We're both Ugh. a little down about that. But yeah. it is what it is. But the only good thing is that, that uh, Bally took over uh, Fox Sports South, so – I don't get it on YouTube TV or my MLB package, so I don't have to see it until go. it's the replay. So I only watch it if they win. So, uh, you, and so that's that's the saving grace. But no, I've uh, I watch the football games because uh, you know you're you're pulling for the kids and and you want them to do well. Um, but yeah, it's not it's weird because I'm not a you know I've, I've spent my whole life I've gone from you know all these different universities, so I really don't have a I don't pull for teams as much as I do for individuals. Right. So same, it's kind of like when I, you're watching the NFL as a college coach, you've got players on all the different teams. You really don't have a favorite team as much as you do pull for players. And so uh, I want them to have all the success in the world. Um, you know, I still have my man crush on John Rice Plumley. still <laughs> love him to death. Um, but, yeah, I watch, I watch when I can, uh, but it's not a really a – it's not that I'm pulling for teams. Again, I'm pulling for individuals. And of course, you know, love Kermit and uh, love coach Bianco and, and what those guys have always, you know, stand for and all that stuff. And I know all the fans got all upset about that, but that's, that's fans being fans. But yeah, it's a little bit different, um, you know, being around town. And sometimes you feel like a caged zoo animal when you, when you go around town, but, but uh, time, time heals everything. What's the coolest story you talk about rooting for kids. Okay. You found a kid in recruiting, you signed him. Maybe he wasn't the five-star that everybody knows is good. A three-star, two-star, whatever it might be. You coached him, got him drafted, and then he succeeded in the NFL. Is there any one guy that you just look at and go, man, I'm, I'm really proud of that guy? I think I know what you're going to say. but uh, Well, I'm probably going to say one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you two that you don't even know about. 
Nope. And I will go back to my Arkansas State days. Um, probably uh, J.D. McKissick would probably be my favorite one. Um, he did not have uh, – he had zero offers. And, and so it wasn't a hard recruiting deal. And that's when Freeze was actually – was the head coach. I had to, like, talk Freeze into taking him at Arkansas State. Wow. Um, and he was from Phoenix City, Alabama. Didn't think he was fast enough. And uh, just a guy, epitome of work ethic and, and competitor, um, came in, developed, caught like 114 balls as a freshman. And he is uh, he's now, if you're a fantasy football player, you know exactly who he is because he'll get me. you about 20 points a game. Me, me. Yeah, he'll get yeah. you about 20, 20 points a game as a running back for the Washington football team when he played receiver. So he, he's a third down guy, goes in and gets much catches. So um, he's he's been in the league here now for about – I don't know, four or five years. And then James Bradbury uh, was a guy that the same class, James Bradbury was at a Pleasant Grove in Alabama, was a corner that we took. Um, he redshirted the year, you know, our year up there. And then we came to, you know, Freeze gets the job at Ole Miss. Well, uh, Gus didn't think he was good enough. So Gus actually cut him from the football team. And then he transferred to Sanford and became a first-round pick, and he is a pro bowler in the National Football League for the Washington – I mean, for the New York Giants. Gus, come on. Gus. Yeah, first-round pick. Wow. First-round pick. Yeah. Any Ole Miss guy in particular? Uh, Evan Ingram? Yeah, duh. Is that who you're going – who yeah. you think I was going to say? Because y'all discovered him at camp. Yeah, he – in uh, Mo uh, Maurice Harris had brought him up – and we had watched film on him. We didn't think he was going to be big enough. And I remember he showed up to camp, and he was like 205, 206, somewhere in there. And I know that sounds like, oh, that's – but I remember weights for whatever reason. like 205, 206. And then he just went off at camp and just had a day. And, uh, you know, we're like – you know, had debated if he was going to be uh, big enough and all that stuff. And I will say this. If, if – I don't think – I think it was perfect timing that we had just gotten here and us taking him. I don't think we would have recruited him a year later. Um, I think it was just good timing and, and that worked out there. Um, great player. Um, you know, uh, Cody core is another one from here yeah. that, you know, the guy went to Auburn high school um, and nobody, you know, we were going to get him at Arkansas state. He was a guy that, you know, everybody talks about the 13 class, but people don't realize the in the, 12 class, like right after we got here, you know, that was Mike Hilton. That was um, Cody Core. There was a lot of players in that class. That no, I did the math. Only terrible. two guys in that class didn't contribute in some way. I'm not talking about superstars up and down, but you had depth guys. Only two misses, legit misses in that whole class. Yeah. Uh, Trey Elston was in that class. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was a ton of guys in that class that ended up being really good players and, and, uh, you know, obviously a 13 class was a 13 class, but yeah, it was a, it was a great class and it almost was a really, really good class when, you know, barely missed on Chris Jones. That was a tough one. And, uh, and then came really, really close. You and I know I've told you the real reason, but uh, should have had Peyton Barber in that class as well. So, uh, Hey, if you want to tell the story, there, but... you could tell the story if you want to. No, okay. no, right. no. No, no, I don't need. See, I just got NCAA approval for a uh, product. I don't need to go backwards. There you go. That's right. That was a that was that was a fun conversation that people don't know about. 
I had an order for our, for our, we had to get approved by the NCAA. Well, you have to go through the NCAA enforcement staff to do that. So those were no. fun conversations. Yes. Yes. Where's they, Mike Sheridan to, now? But, it wasn't him, was it? It was not him, but it was the head of the enforcement. I will, I will say this. He said I was the first person to ever apply for NCAA certification that they already knew who I was. So that was, that was fun. It was a fun conversation. That was was a fun conversation. You know, now if we had, if we had our good friend, Brendan Chapman, if he was working here, I don't know if we would have got approved, but Hey, we got approved. (laughs) So that's all it counts. But yeah, it was, uh, when, when I found that whole thing out, I was like, Oh boy, here we go. So, but yes, I actually, and they all kidding aside, they were great. Um, the guy that was there, he was, he was great, did a good job. So they're great. They got me approved. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> me too. They're swell. <laughs> Former Ole Miss director of recruiting, Tyler Siski, now the CEO of Quick Recruiting. Thank you for doing this, my friend. I appreciate you. You bet, brother. Y'all have a good one.